Well, as I said earlier, wherever Christians are gathered today, in whatever numbers they're able, they're greeting one another with the words, He is risen. And receiving back the affirmation, He is risen indeed. And so I hope that wherever you are today, you take these truths with whomever you're sharing a household. If you are living alone, then feel free to yell them out at the top of your lungs because it is worth reminding ourselves and one another and declaring before the Lord what we believe to be true, what we are celebrating today, however constrained our celebrations might be, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And you know, as I think about it, I think that our celebrations are today in some ways similar to the very first Easter. Jesus' first followers on that crucial Sunday were scattered in little groups in homes, dispersed and very likely afraid to varying degrees, just as we are. But it didn't take long, and the glorious truth of Jesus' resurrection turned their fear into faith and their seeming failure into glorious victory for all who truly followed him. And so I want to share with us again the old, old story, this time from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, so that we, in these fearful days, might rejoice with them and to see anew the transforming power of Jesus' resurrection and to celebrate it afresh in our own hearts and in our own lives and in our own homes. So if you have a Bible handy, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. It's the very last chapter in the book. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to have one in a good modern translation that you can read, uh, leave a comment on this video and we will send you one free of charge. We'll be happy to put a Bible into your hands. Now, if you would join me here in reading the first 10 verses of this story of Matthew chapter 28, beginning verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. 
Uh, these first 10 verses are all about how the risen Christ was revealed to his followers. According to the scriptures, Jesus was crucified on Passover Friday. And so Jesus was taken down from the cross just before dark on that day when the Sabbath would technically begin. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb near there. Travel was restricted after he was laid in it until Sunday morning. But some of the women disciples wanted to come as early as they could on Sunday. And they're coming for just the reason that Matthew here mentions, to look at the tomb. They're coming to mourn. They're coming to finish preparing and honoring Jesus' body for his burial. They are coming not expecting life but death. They are certainly expecting to see the soldiers. They were there at the time Jesus was laid in the tomb. They know a guard was They know that the tomb was sealed, most likely because they were among those who helped to bury Jesus. And they expect to see a heavy stone rolled over the tomb entrance. What they don't expect to see is what they find, which is resurrection. Because in first century Jewish theology, there was no room for the kind of Messiah that Jesus was. A suffering Messiah, let alone one who died by crucifixion. They hadn't read Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and Zechariah 9.9 and 12.10 as applying to Jesus. They had read those. But they didn't understand that they were speaking of Messiah. And they didn't understand yet that Jesus would have a first coming as the suffering servant. Isaiah spends 26 chapters discussing. They didn't understand that that was going to happen first. And that he would later return as ruler and king. They are coming to weep for a dead friend and a dead dream because Jesus didn't turn out to be the Messiah that they thought that he would be, or so they think. And so they're completely shocked by what they do see. They see the stone rolled away, and probably their first thought is grave robbers, but then they see the angel. And then they feel an earthquake. And the angel rolls away the stone and sits on it. And by the way, the angel did not roll away the stone. Let out. Jesus was already out. He rolled away the stone so that Jesus' followers could come in and see that Jesus was already gone. These women also saw the soldier shake with fear and then faint dead away. And then they saw and heard the angel of God speak the most startling words, the words they never expected to hear. He is not here. For he is risen just as he said. Come see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. 
and there you will see him. See, I've told you, the angel says. And they could hardly believe their eyes and ears. The thing they never expected to see is what they're seeing. The thing they never expected to hear is what they're hearing. That Jesus is not dead. That Jesus is risen. And he is going ahead to Galilee where he will rejoin his disciples. And these women are given the task of being the first ones to receive and to carry the good news. What an awesome, amazing privilege. And then suddenly, as they're in the middle of carrying out the task that the angel gave them, Jesus himself shows up and is visible to their eyes. And he says to them, greetings. And by the way, he's not a ghost or a hallucination. How do we know? Because they're able to take hold of his feet and worship him. And Jesus reminds them, by the way, listen to what the angel told you. Do what he said. Go tell the other disciples that I am risen and go to Galilee where I will meet them. Can you imagine how excited you would be? Can you imagine? That the person that you had buried less than 72 hours ago is out of the grave, alive, victorious, and speaking to you. And they take off, I'm sure, at a run to go and tell the other disciples. This was the most amazing thing that they had ever seen. That the Messiah that they had believed in, the one that they thought was dead and defeated, is in fact the, the victorious risen king. Here he stands, alive. And they see him. And they worship him. And then they go and proclaim that Jesus promises have all been fulfilled. They have all been kept. The Son of God is in fact alive and has risen from the grave. Now, not everyone had that response to the resurrection of Jesus. They in fact uh, sought to cover it up. Look with me at verse 11 and following. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, this part of the story is pretty easy to explain. The soldiers wake up from their fainting, from shock, and at the sight of the angel and in fear of the earthquake. And they go off and report what has happened. Now, you need to understand that Roman soldiers, when they were appointed to a task, if they failed in their task... For any reason, their own lives were forfeit. 
but they nevertheless do their duty and go report what has happened, that they're not going to stand and guard an empty tomb. And they go and they tell the chief priests and the elders what has happened. And it's pretty embarrassing. In fact, it's more than embarrassing. It could be life-threatening what they have to tell them. That, oh, by the way, the dead guy we're supposed to be guarding is not dead, but alive. And I'm starting to believe the people who claimed that he was the Son of God. All signs, by the way, point to that being the case. Just want you to know that this is what has occurred. But what's interesting with these chief priests and elders is that having heard this testimony, even that is not enough to convince them of the error of having put Jesus to death in the first place. They continue to believe what they had already concluded, that Jesus cannot be the Messiah, and so we're going to buy a lie if we have to. They buy off the soldiers. They volunteer to settle up with Pilate because even though there is proof right in front of them that Jesus really is the one that he claimed to be uh, by even the most amazing facts possible, they would rather embrace a lie than the truth. By the way, that is still true today. Some people, when confronted with the truth of the gospel story, and by the way, it has been the most extensively investigated historical event ever. And no one has ever disproven the resurrection of Jesus conclusively. But there is a mountain of evidence that Jesus was indeed raised from the dead. But some people nonetheless insist on believing the lie rather than the truth. And consider the ridiculous story they come up with. They say, tell people that while we were asleep, we know that the disciples came and took the body. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to sleep, and I mean really asleep, not, not like dozing on the couch where you're kind of aware of things going on. I'm talking about for real asleep. There could be a car crash into my living room and I would be unaware of it. I sleep like the dead when I am asleep. And you could have any number of things take place while I am asleep and I would not be able to testify as to the truth of what happened while my eyes were shut. And I don't know if these guys slept that hard, but I do know that when you're asleep, you can't testify as to what happened while you were looking at the back of your eyelids. But nevertheless, that is the story they came up with. While we were asleep and could not verify what happened, we know that this happened even though we saw the angel felt the earthquake and fainted. It's a ridiculous story. 
but it's one that motivated reasoning causes many people to believe. We would always rather have a comforting lie than an uncomfortable truth that might force us to confront our lives and bring about change. And that's what we're with. They, they certainly are not going to embrace the idea that the one man their holy book pointed to that they had missed his identity until after they'd murdered him. They're not going to go with that. That's a possibility too horrible to contemplate and so they just decide we will buy a lie instead. But the story doesn't end there, does it? Jesus has already revealed himself to be the risen Christ. He's been rejected by the religious leaders, but he still keeps his promises. And in the last verses of this, we see the risen Christ reigns. So look at verse 16 and following now with me, if you would. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, the disciples have gone off to see Jesus in Galilee uh, just as both Jesus and the angel had told them to do, Jesus meets them on top of a specific mountain where he had told them to go. Uh, Jesus conducted much of his ministry in Galilee. We don't know which mountain it was, but they certainly understood. Maybe it was the mountain where he had delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe it was the mountain where he had uh, fed the 5,000. We don't have any idea, but what we do know is this. They went to the same mountain, the specific one that Jesus had identified. And the, we also know this, that the four Gospels uh, and uh, the book of 1 Corinthians testify to 11 different post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And this is probably the one that Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, where Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And his disciples, for the most part, are now convinced of his identity and they worship him. But even then, even in that moment, it says, but some doubt it. Some are still not sure. They're seeing it, but it seems too wonderful to be true. Nevertheless, Jesus speaks to them and reveals both to them and to us some important truths that are still true for us today. And he begins by noting, making clear for the, to them and to us that he is longer of Isaiah 53. He is the conquering king, the one who has defeated death itself. And though Jesus will eternally retain the human nature that he took on in his incarnation, his divine role has been fully restored. And therefore he proclaims in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, just to be very clear, there is no 
place in all of the universe over which Jesus' authority and rule does not extend. There is not one maverick molecule in the entire universe over which Jesus does not declare his rule. It is all his. He is the sovereign of all creation. He is the great I am, the ruler of all things, both visible and invisible. All things were created by him and for him to give glory to him, and he is the king. That's why we have the table draped in purple today, because Jesus is the king. And though the cross is in the past, the crown is his present and future. Jesus is the king. And following that, based on that truth, which is why you have the word therefore, in verse 19, Jesus commissions his followers for a lifetime of ministry in his name. As the risen and conquering Messiah who was promised, he commands his followers to go out into the wide world to all peoples to uh, announce that he is the risen Christ, the risen Messiah. And they and we who have come after them need to continue to do what Jesus began, to make disciples just like them. By the way, what do you think they heard when Jesus said, make disciples? They heard, I think, do exactly with other people what I have done with you. Meet with them, be with them, show your love to them, serve them. And he also says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you so the idea is that we're to go out and with everyone we encounter amongst every kind of people and language in every nation to every tribe to every language and proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah who died for sin and rose again from the grave to give everyone who believes in him eternal life and when someone receives that, we're to do this. We're to baptize them in the singular name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's because there is one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thus, there is one name, the threefold triune deity that we worship and proclaim. And they're to get baptized as a sign to those they know of what has happened to them on the inside of their heart through Christ by God's power. And then we're to teach them everything that Jesus taught in the way that Jesus taught it. And every single one of Jesus' disciples are to keep doing that until Jesus comes back. So we're to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples ad infinitum, which is Latin for Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. And Jesus also proclaims something else to them and to us, which is also vitally important for us. 
that we can have confidence as we do these things that Jesus, though he will not be visible to us until the day he returns, that he has not left us. The text says, my Bible reads, I am with you always. The Greek that underlies that is every day until the end of the age, until the end of time. So, and that's important for us because I don't know about you, but when you go through a rough time, when you have maybe a loved one die, when you yourself are suffering in some way, whether it's a job loss or a sickness or a relationship that blows up or a pay cut or some other thing that is hard. Sometimes you can have this thought happen to you. Jesus, are you with me today? Are you with me in this? And the promise of Matthew 28, 20 is this. I'm with you on every day. The good days, he's with us. The bad days, he is with us. The days where we scream out at him in pain, Lord, are you seeing what's happening to me? Yes, he is with you on every one of those days. And because he is with us on every one of those days, we can know this, that the same power which raised him from the dead will continue to live in us and to empower us for the task of proclaiming the good news of his death and resurrection to every people in every place and every language until he comes back. He is with us. Now, this passage confronts us with three things that we need to remember and receive into our hearts today. Number one, this passage confronts us with a choice. It is either rejoicing or rejection. Every human being confronted by the events of Easter has to decide, is this story true or false? If it is true and then will I decide to follow Jesus and submit to him as my Savior, Master, and Lord? I believe it is. And many years ago, many years ago, I put my trust in Jesus Christ and he has become Savior, Master, and Lord to me. And I have never regretted it one time. Because he has been so good to me. He has forgiven my sin. He has given me new life. He has led me and blessed my life in ways that I cannot even name all of them. If I were to start, I would be here the rest of the day. He has led me. And given me a better life than I could ever devise on my own. And I know that many of you participating in worship today have experienced that same reality. And so Easter is a day of rejoicing for you. 
Even if the circumstances are not what we would choose, it is still a day on which you rejoice knowing that your sins are forgiven, that your citizenship is in heaven, that Jesus has made it possible for you to be called the children of God. But probably not all of us. And so I invite you, if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, who really did die on the cross for your sins and who really is risen from the grave, conquering death for you and offering you eternal life, there is no better day than today in which to do that. No better time than now. Because men and women, today the choice is rejection or rejoicing. And by the way, at the end of your life, it is the same choice. You will receive from God either rejection or rejoicing based on how you have responded to Jesus Christ. For those who know him, it will be a grand welcome home. As the apostle Peter wrote, you will receive a rich welcome into the kingdom. On the other hand, if you reject Jesus Christ, you will be rejected and you will be cast into the outer darkness that Jesus describes where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Forever confronted with the reality of your sin and tormented by it. Choose rejoicing. Choose rejoicing. Choose life. And know the life that is really life. And the service that is such freedom in knowing and following Christ. There's also a hope-filled message to proclaim. Men and women, if you know Jesus Christ, you have such hope, such joy, such encouragement in every moment of your life you can go about proclaiming to everyone you know that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead that he has died for your sin granted you forgiveness and given you membership in his family that God himself has bought for you and given to you as a gift to be freely received and so we have this hope-filled message to proclaim that anyone who wants that can have it for the asking. And we also have, related to the message, a job to do. And let's not forget what that job is. We are still appointed, every single one of us, to make disciples of every people group in every place all over the world. And that is still our job. No matter the circumstances, and it is one we can still do, no matter how constrained we are, because we can still connect with people. In fact, more so now than ever. You can connect around the world in an instant with people that you know, who need to know Jesus and need to come to know him and follow him and believe in him. And so let's continue to celebrate and to proclaim the reality that Jesus Christ is the risen Savior. 
And that his body is not there in the tomb. And not because the disciples stole it, but because he has been resurrected by the power of God. He is risen indeed. And when let's focus our energy on rejoicing and joyfully proclaiming the message that Christ is risen from the grave. And he is calling you to be his disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples until he comes. Amen? Amen. Now, let's pray, and then we'll continue to worship in song. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. That gives us joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the half has never been told of all of the joy that is ours through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for blessing our lives with the gift of grace received freely through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if there's anyone out there, a man or woman or boy or girl who has never put their trust in Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation for them, the day where they bow their heart before the Lord and proclaim that they are sinners who need a Savior and that Jesus Christ is the one in whom they put their trust. Father, I pray that you would be glorifying today by many people coming to faith in Jesus and having their lives transformed and then to carry out the job Jesus gave us by his power to make disciples among all the nations. And Father, we give you praise and we shout for joy what you have done. In Jesus' name and by your Holy Spirit's power, amen.